This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Scouting, um, how we, first of all, with the idea that what happened and why we underachieved and, and how we make this the best organization to, to attain our goals. Well, it's been 24 hours since one of the biggest days in Flames franchise history. Brad for living in the Flames, mutually parting ways. And as you heard from new president of hockey operations and interim GM Don Maloney, Everything is under review, and the offseason of change for the Calgary Flames uh, began yesterday, will only continue over the next couple of weeks. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, with my outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor this afternoon. we got lots to get to on the program today. Peter Labardius will kick off hour two of the program. Having to change up the schedule due to some travel today for Lou, but we'll uh, have him to kick off hour two. Some reflection on what we heard yesterday at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome and what we've heard since from the likes of NHL insiders like Elliot Friedman. I know Nick Kiprios uh, from Sportsnet was on with the guys uh, in the morning show with Russick and Rose. NHL world reacting to what happened in Calgary. We'll get into uh, all of that with Lou in hour two. Coming up a little bit later on in hour one, we'll check in with Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. After a wild night in the NHL playoffs on day number one, two games that go into overtime. Double OT win for the Minnesota Wild. Oilers lose a lead late and lose to the LA Kings. We'll get Cos's thoughts on uh, what we've seen so far in Four matchups yesterday, another four that get going today. Plus, you know, Cons is our NHL uh, draft guru. His April prospect rankings came out uh, just a few days ago at sportsnet.ca. And if you're a Flames fan, I imagine you're going to start taking a bigger look at those kind of articles now that the playoffs aren't happening for the team. The Flames currently heading into the draft lottery in a few weeks' time. With uh, the 16th overall pick, it would take a minor miracle for them to change from that spot. So we'll ask Cause what exactly he sees in the middle of the draft, right around that 16th spot, as far as players that might be available to the Calgary Flames, if that's where they do indeed wind up picking at this year's draft uh, in Nashville. So it'd be a good one. So keep it tuned here. Uh, reminder that fan feedback line is always open to you here on Sportsnet today. 960-960. And we start off today by looking back at yesterday. Uh, it was a busy day on the program yesterday. We had live reaction from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. We heard that press conference with Don Maloney and John Bean uh, live here on Sportsnet today. Pat also had an exclusive one-on-one with Don Maloney that you can find wherever you get your podcasts under the Flames Talk podcast feed. 
Um, so we didn't have as much time yesterday to dissect and dive into really what we heard, but we'll do that now and I'll ask the fan feedback line to get involved and see how we're feeling 24 hours out from a, a huge day yesterday for the Calgary Flames and also look into one of the bigger storylines that now needs to be resolved for this team. And that's the coaching situation because Elliot Friedman joined Pat yesterday on Flames Talk. He also had a written version of 32 Thoughts of at Sportsnet.ca that shed some light on Brad Treliving's decision to not come back as GM. And it's one that I think needs to be addressed pretty quickly by Don Maloney as the president of Hockey Ops. We'll get into that in just a few moments. But 960-960, the fan feedback line open to you. How are we feeling 24 hours out after uh, some big breaking news yesterday about Brad Treliving and the Calgary Flames mutually parting ways? Just some quick thoughts before we hear from Frege and get into that second topic. Uh, it was a hard day yesterday for a lot of people. I think a lot of people, as you could tell, have massive respect for Brad Treliving. And whether or not you think he handled last summer well, given the circumstances, I, I think, Brad, you can never short him on the fact that he was the hardest worker in the room, that he was always trying to to make this team better. Every GM has wins and every GM has losses on their record. I think that if you're a Calgary Flames fan, even though, again, did all of them come to fruition? Did all of the big names, whether it was, I remember the Flames being around Pierre-Luc Dubois. You'll remember being in on the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. While those didn't come to fruition for the Calgary Flames, I think you could always solidly know as a Flames fan when Bradshaw Living was the GM that if he thought it could improve his team, he was in on it. Didn't matter who the player was, didn't matter what the cost may or may not be. Brad knew what the cost was going to be, knew what the cost comparative to his team would be, and was going to try his best to make that happen. Again, did it happen all the time? No, but it doesn't happen for every GM. And I think I'll look back at the next at the past nine years as a pretty successful one for the GM. I, I think, you know, looking at the signings of guys like Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom as major wins. Obviously, there's losses in there. James Neal, Troy Brower come to mind. He also got some of the best extensions done for players in this team's history. Rasmus Anderson still on a great deal. Same with Elias Lindholm. Johnny Gaudreau's last contract wound up being a pretty good one for this team, financially speaking. So I think for sure, no matter where Brad ends up, if he wants to go back in a GM's chair, if he wants to find himself in a, any kind of role within a team's hockey staff, hockey management staff, I think he's going to be a great asset to them. And at the end of the day, I do think the Calgary Flames will miss having someone uh, with his work ethic. And that's not to say that it can't get better, but I think there's every chance that it could also go the other way. I think Brad was a very good GM for this team and I think should be remembered that way. Now onto the bigger issue with this team right now, and that's why the GM left or why people think the GM left. This is from Elliot Friedman on his 32 Thoughts article that came out last night or yesterday afternoon, I should say. Written version of it, he usually does the pod with uh, Jeff Merrick, who you hear 
uh, on our radio station every single day, Monday to Friday. But he had a written thought last uh, version of it last night. And, you know, obviously the flame story, a big one here. And this article, uh, this passage from, from Fridge and what you'll hear from him on Flamestock with Pat yesterday, you know, really shedding some light on, on why True Living may or may not be back as this team's GM. Uh, this is from 32 Thoughts, the written version up at sportsnet.ca from Elliot Friedman. Uh, True Living and the Flames mutually agreed to part ways on Monday, five days after their last game of a disappointing 2022-2023. Don Maloney, now president of Hockey Ops and interim GM, said Friday, or said Trilliving, excuse me, first indicated last Wednesday he was leaving. It is believed a deteriorating relationship with Sutter played a major role in the GM's decision and that the two could not continue working together and really hadn't communicated well in some time. If Sutter didn't have an extension, maybe the outcome is different. To me, that's a major piece of news. That the GM and this head coach, and I think we knew all of this, but to hear it out loud, and you'll hear it from Frege in just a second here with Pat from Flamestock yesterday, to hear what we've thought about for a long time here, that the coach and the GM didn't have a great relationship, and having someone confirm it is, I think, a bit worrying. And more so that Friedman thinks it played a major role in Brad Trilliving not wanting to come back, I think is is something that this team really needs to take a second and look at. And let's before we get too far down the road, let's hear from Friedman. You can hear this entire conversation on the Flamestock podcast, wherever you get your pods. Uh Friedman, nice enough to join Pat yesterday on Flamestock to really get into all of this stuff and, and to dive into Brad not coming back with the organization, but uh, again, Friedman in this clip here with Pat gets into some of the reasoning behind it. And for the Flames, it's it's one that I think really needs to be addressed. Like one of my rules is if people want something to happen, mm-hmm. you can make it happen. And, you know, I think Brad Tree Living wanted to stay as general manager of the Calgary Flames. And I think the Calgary Flames wanted uh, Brad Tree Living to stay on. And in my experience, when you have – uh, two people at the side of a table who want to get something done, nine times out of ten, it gets done. This is the one time. This is the situation where it doesn't occur. And, you know, unfortunately, I think the relationship between Tree Living and uh, Daryl Sutter had kind of um, deteriorated a bit. And, um, you know, I, I just think that it wasn't going to be able to continue. I just I just heard there wasn't a lot of communication um, and uh, it, I think it was just time uh, it, it, at the end for True Living if all things were going to stay together. And and so do you, you you do think there was a world where if if one or two more steps on one side or one or two more steps on the other side were taken that that we could have gotten to a, a place where he was back for another stint? Yes, I, I do think that was possible. I mean, look, I, I don't know that it got anywhere close to that. Um, but I, I do think it was possible. I'm, I, I'm not like, you know, like I, I think, I don't know if it's so simple to say um, uh, as, you know, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's right to say the Calgary Flames picked Daryl Sutter over Brad Tree Living, but I think what it is right to say is that uh, the first choice here was the general managers. 
And if it was the status quo, then it wasn't going to be for him. I think that's, that's the best way I can put it. That is NHL insider Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts podcast, Hockey Night in Canada. He joined Pat Steinberg on Flames Talk on Monday, breaking down more on the Brad Living Daryl Sutter front. And it's a pretty concerning tone for me hearing a guy like Elliot talk about a deteriorating relationship between the GM and the coach, and that that was a major reason that Brad didn't want to come back. If it stayed the same, then he didn't want any part of that. To me, that's it's a failure on a number of fronts. It's a failure on the organization side. It's a failure from both of those guys to understand. It falls on Brad and it falls on Daryl too. You're grown men. You're paid to do a job. You're paid to be on the same page and do what's best for the Calgary Flames. And clearly they couldn't do that to the point where the GM, who didn't have a contract for the next season, just said, I'm not... I'm not willing to fight that road anymore. I'm not going to fight the uphill battle to try to convince this guy to do it my way or to try to see it my way in some of these circumstances. That's just not a great indication of, of communication from either side. I don't care how good of a hockey brain you are. I don't care how, how you see the game. You have to be able to communicate, especially in that position. And I don't, I'm not saying you have to agree on everything. Because that's uh, having a yes man situation that, you know, the GM follows everything the coach wants to do or the coach follows everything the GM wants to do. I don't think that's always healthy either. I I think normal discourse happens in any sort of working relationship like that. But the fact that the GM and the coach just weren't communicating regularly and think about it this way. uh, Yes, you're, I I think Brad Chilliving's done enough in his tenure in Calgary to warrant being a GM again somewhere in the league, but there's no guarantee of that. There's 32 of those jobs. You'll hear us say that again and again and again, but it's true. He walked away from a contract offer, uh, the ability to come back as this team's GM, it sounds like, in large part because of the communication with the guy at, at head coach who has two more years on his contract. To me, that's a major stepping stone and should be if it's not pretty close to the top of the list for Don Maloney to figure out as to what happens next for this group. Because if Daryl isn't going to, is going to have trouble communicating with the GM and with a guy like Brad Chaliving, who's been there for a long time and has built most of this team. I don't know how you can bring him back as head coach. I don't know how many relationships are more vital to an organization's success than the coach and the GM being on the same page. And as many people have talked about, Eric Francis has talked about this, um, you know, plenty of people have talked about, you don't, Daryl's management style, do you want to bring in a guy that that knows Daryl and is just willing to put up with Daryl because... He can be hard to to deal with sometimes. I don't think that's the right answer either. Don Maloney's own words yesterday were young, progressive, 
you know, thinker when it comes to GM. I, not that Daryl can't communicate with a new GM or wouldn't communicate with a new GM. I think it's, it's entirely possible that he would. But is it not concerning that through everything that went on last year and everything that we've talked about, the problems for this group and how important it was last year to try to make something happen because of the contract extensions and because of the age of this group that at the end of the day, these guys were just on such different pages that the GM just said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll wait it out. And maybe he could use a break. Maybe, maybe all of that's absolutely correct. But again, there's 32 of these jobs and there's no guarantee you get another one. To have someone like Brad Living say that or, or to feel that way about the relationship and the communication level to me, a bit worrying. And clearly something that has Flames fans interested too as to who the next GM is going to be. Is Craig Conroy the right guy for that? I don't know. It's He knows he'll have an inside track, no doubt, on understanding how Daryl operates from being a guy that was coached by Daryl to being a guy that's you know been an AGM with Daryl as the head coach this time around. But is that the right... Is he the right fit to handle that? Is, is it right to bring Daryl back in that circumstance? I think that has to be talked about as well. Not only from an on-ice performance, but from a coaching and just from an employee standpoint. Again, I think that's an important relationship, and I think to some degree that has to fall on Daryl too. Uh, some of your texts at 960-960, the fan feedback line, always open to you. As you can imagine, on Monday it was blowing up. It continues to uh, to be busy today, and you can continue to send your texts in uh, if you're listening live to 960-960. This one says, I can definitely see Brad being frustrated with Sutter because he finds these young talents to further the team's future, but Sutter won't give them the time of day and waste the prospects' younger years. I think that had to be one of the main frustrations between coach and GM this year. I don't know that. Friedman hasn't said that. We haven't heard anyone say, you know, exactly where the miscommunication came from. But I think it's pretty easy as people who watch this team as a fan or as an observer, member of the media, that clearly the way young prospects and AHL call-ups were handled could have been a frustration for GM and coach. Right, the GM says, "Look, maybe there's nothing on on the horizon. I can't make anything happen right now. Let's look to the AHL, where we happen to have the league's leading scorer, and see if he can't help us." Okay, well, he gets two games on a road trip out east. Sees fourteen ish minutes of time, a lot of it special team wise, and that's all we saw from him for the rest of the year. I can see as a GM why that would frustrate you. Jacob Pelche got into the lineup after two weeks of being around the team. Had a pretty good stint with the group for a while. Found himself in and out of the lineup. And then as the year went on, towards the end of the year, don't have to tell anybody else, sat for most of the year and wondered what exactly he needed to do to get back into the, into the lineup. I can definitely see that being a reason that these two 
went back and forth. Um, da, da, da. This guy says, you guys are so anti-Sutter. Y'all got the team to 111 points last year. Tree screwed the team with the Johnny and Matthew situations. Enough Sutter bashing. No one's Sutter bashing here. I think everybody holds a part of a failed year for the organization. And that includes Daryl. And let me, you know, be clear about this. I think Daryl Sutter's the best coach, if not one of the best coaches this organization's ever had. But do I think that Daryl doesn't, I mean, Daryl plays a part in all of this. Whether you want to look back at how he handled some of the young players, the comments to Pelchier and Huberto at different times of the year, the Nick Ritchie shootout situation. It doesn't make Daryl a bad coach, and I don't think Daryl's a bad coach. But any head coach and any GM combo, in my mind, that are going to have trouble communicating and getting the basics of you know, that relationship down, that falls on both of them. I'm sorry, that's not just on Brad for living. That's not just on, on Daryl Sutter either. Both of them needed to find a way to do it. They couldn't do it. And now Brad's going to go a different direction. But again, if that's what you're hearing from Don Maloney, or if that's what you're hearing in your Don Maloney, Daryl has to own up to that aspect of it too and be there on the other side of it and say, look, I've, I've got to wear my role in it and I've got to be a better communicator if I'm the head coach with whoever the next GM is. And if you're the coach and a few people have texted out, okay, well, who brought in two boat anchors in Huberto and Kadri? Okay, fair. They, they did not play up to expectation this year. But as a coach, are you not trying to get the best out of them? I know it might not be ideal that these guys aren't playing this way. But I just, I, I can't sit here and say that, you know, Daryl's free of, of his own criticism in this because he's not. I think he's a great coach. He'll always be a great coach. But he's also not separate from any of this. Uh, da, 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 da. This one says, um, Stu in Calgary texts in, his parents Sutter will be staying. Unfortunately, it'll be difficult for a younger forward-thinking GM to be effective with an old set in his ways coach. Without sending him packing, the insanity will continue. Uh, Darren texts in, Logan, based on uh, what you report, or what Friedman reported about Sutter's lack of communication with Treliving, uh, does this mean that ownership group can, uh, became involved and forced Treliving to hire Sutter back as head coach? I'm wondering what role ownership had in Sutter being hired. I, I don't know about that. Um, I, I really don't. That's That's one that's been brought up a bunch and it I wouldn't surprise me at all if it was an ownership decision we've known for a really long time that Murray Edwards is a big fan of Daryl Sutter and I think most Flames fans think fairly fondly of Daryl Sutter because as many have put it he helped save the franchise in 2003-2004 that playoff run really reignited and in some cases you know, brought people's passion to the forefront for hockey. Um, and I think ownership will always feel a soft spot for Daryl in that sense. So would it surprise me if they had a hand in it? Or was it a name that was pushed on Daryl, on, on Bradshaw Living? Maybe. But I don't know that we've ever heard one way or the other. 
um, if that was true or not. Uh, this text says, Daryl's a great coach, perhaps the best Flames coach ever. He's not the right coach for today's young teams. Uh, this one says, it's been a mediocre organization and ownership for decades. Sutter has too much power. That is the bottom line. Uh, Jesse and Cranston texts in, whether it's the usage of the young players this year, the deployment of the stars and vets, or the resignation of Brad Chaliving in the failed season as a whole, is there not a common denominator here? Fire Sutter as soon as possible and start new. Uh, a couple other texts here. Um, this one says the Flames absolutely cannot narrow down the GM search uh, for someone who specifically works well with Sutter. You need the best GM you can get, then get a coach who works well with the GM, not the other way around. If that coach is Sutter, that's fine. But if he's not, you can't lock our potential GMs because you don't think they'll work well with the coach. Um... But the uh, more lots of texts at nine six zero nine six zero. This one says, when you've committed eight and seven years and seventeen million to Kadri and Huberto, you need a coach that they'll play for. It was quite obvious those two and most of the team quit on him. I don't see a scenario where they can bring him back and expect it to be any different. That's a, a very good point. Um, not only is is that relationship and that communication with Brad a problem? But I think at different points that we saw that relationship with, with players maybe be an issue too, whether it was the comments about Pelche or the comments about Huberto and, you know, going to take an S and that's why he was missing from the bench or whatever. I, I do absolutely think that, and look, and it's always a tough situation because the coach is always the one that loses out. Huberto hasn't touched a single day on, on his eight-year contract. Kadri still has six more years. Uh, they are going to be here longer than the coach will be. But you have to make the best of those situations for both sides. That's, a, that's just another level of where the... of where the... the buck sort of stops with the head coach right now. Um... One guy still thinks I'm shut. I'm Sutter bashing because I've all I've read are anti Sutter texts. I'm not reading anti Sutter texts. I'm just reading the texts that are there. If they happen to be Sutter bashing, that's just what's coming in on the text line and how people feel about it. Again, I don't think I was Sutter bashing. I think that everybody owns a role in this. Huberto, Kadri, Treliving, Markstrom, they all own their part in it. That's just clearly where people think they are, where people's opinion of the coach is right now. As I said, when the first Sutter bashing text came in, I'm not Sutter, but I think the guy's a great head coach, and I think he deserves a ton of credit for what he did with the group last year. It didn't work with the group this year. The Sutter style, whether it was his personality or his play style, didn't work with the group. That's just how it happened. I'm, I'm sorry if you don't agree with that, but that's how it's happened. Uh, this text says, uh, perhaps it's why Johnny and Matt decided to leave the Flames with Sutter as their head coach. Huberto and Kadri signed their deals knowing that Sutter was going to be their coach. Uh, this one says, when Sutter was first hired, it was all smiles. Can't get too high, can't get too low, telling everybody this is what champions do and players on the ice battled through big hits or adversity. He just changed to be sour and play mental games, make people miserable. As soon as pressure hit, 
he's got to go. Uh, this one says, uh, Big Mike texting in. Always appreciate you, Mike. Uh, said, hey, Logo, people looking back on the Florida trade and the three big contracts signed uh, with privilege of hindsight are working some creative revisionist history. We all said, wow, Tree did a great job. He should have stayed, but why would he? Stutter is stubborn and not Tree's pick. Why would he stick around being told how to do his job? Uh, this one says, just a thought. Do you think Daryl using Richie in the shootout was a spite of Brad for living? Kind of a look at this player. You got me at the deadline. Maybe that was the last straw for these two. And we'll end it off on this. Uh, JB from Douglas Dale. My two cents. Sutter's job is to win games. He failed. Shootouts three on three. Team is always flat the first 10 minutes. They look slow. They never looked ready to play. Clean house. Start over. How many times can we hear boys can't play a Sutter style system? But Sutter never changed his own system. All I know is that I, I think this is a big question mark for the team going forward, and I'm curious how Don Maloney and and John Bean handle this because any situation where the GM inherits a, a coach to me is always a tough one. I always think you'd like to have your new GM come in and have control of that situation. But as we've learned, and as people in Calgary know. When Daryl Sutter's the head coach, it's a little bit different than it is in other situations. So, of course, we'll continue to monitor it. Don Maloney did say he was set to meet with Daryl either today or on Wednesday. Um, whether that means something is imminent for them, I have no idea. It could just be a, a catching up between the two. But we'll uh, certainly monitor that situation as the Flames offseason continues. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side with Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. NHL playoff action underway last night. We got four more games today. Plus, Cause has his April prospect rankings ahead of the NHL draft. We'll get to all of that on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, the NHL playoffs uh, started with a bang last night. Four pretty outstanding games. Hurricanes down the Islanders. The Bruins minus Patrice Bergeron. Win a physical affair against the Panthers. And then a couple of late night overtime viewings with the Wild and Kings picking up uh, victories. It was an awesome night to start the journey towards uh, a Stanley Cup champion. And we'll have four more games uh, to get to tonight and uh, for, of course, the playoff teams and fans of those teams. You've got lots to get into in the next couple of weeks and for uh, the non-playoff teams as well. Off-season's beginning. We know that with all the news we had yesterday in Calgary. And uh, don't look now, but uh, the NHL draft just around the corner in a couple weeks' time. And you can start getting ready for that as well. And a uh, perfect person to bring on to chat about a little bit of everything hockey uh, it's our pal Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Sammy, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? Yeah, doing well, thanks. Uh, looking forward to tonight. Uh, the first night was pretty fun. <laughs> it was. It was a great one last night. And, uh, of course, us here in Calgary had uh, plenty of our own news to deal with yesterday as we were getting ready for those playoff games to start. I guess, Sammy, just give us your uh, outside position looking in on the news yesterday that Brad Trilliving wasn't going to come back as Flames GM. Well, I mean, I don't think it's it's too surprising. I think when the initial contract offer was made to extend, Brad had it in his mind that this might become a possibility. And so when they decided to kick it down the road and get to the end of the year, um, it wasn't surprising, especially when the team didn't make the playoffs. Now, if you make the playoffs and you're winning, everyone feels a little bit different, a little bit better about themselves. 
but moving forward, it, it didn't look, at least from the outside looking in, like a relationship that uh, that was going to last or, or, you know, work well enough, um, you know, to, to move forward. So not uh, not too surprising, to be honest. How do you look back on, on Brad Schlemming's tenure here in Calgary? I know it's a mixed one for a lot of Flames fans because they're trying to redefine what success means here in Calgary after you know, one run to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2003, 2004, Sammy. But after nine years as Flames GM, and you kind of think about it, how do you look back on Brad's time as the GM with the Calgary Flames? Well, it's an extremely difficult job. I mean, you know, to be able to manage a salary cap and talent and recruiting players and drafting players, there's so many different elements that, that go into it. So it's an extremely difficult job, and that's why people don't stay in them very long because it's tough to have, you know, a, a ton of success. So, when when you look at it, there's there's one ultimate goal, and if there becomes a period of time, some are given a longer lease than others. That if you don't reach that goal, you're going to be asked to move on, or you're going to make the decision in Brad Strait uh, place to move on because I'm quite certain that he felt like he wasn't going to be able to get to that next step with the current situation. So um, when I look at it, I thought, and I still think very highly of all the work that he did last year to um, replace Johnny Gaudreau and replace Matthew Kachuk so Kachuk wasn't coming back you had to move on him I thought the deal was really good for him um, you know of course he would have had a down year Uyghur wasn't really himself until about the last maybe month or so of the year uh, and I look at Kadri he too didn't look like himself so it, it I think the scenario is really really interesting because as a general manager your job is essentially player procurement and at some points you have to work in lockstep with the head coach and at other points, you, you're you left to do with what you think is best with the resources you have available to you. And then at that point, it becomes the coach's job to coach the team. So while they still have to get along, each of them has a very defined role with what goes on. And, you know, when, when looking at what Brad did, you know, Gaudreau wasn't going to happen. Kachuk wasn't going to happen. He made the best of that situation, brought in the players that he felt could replace them as best as possible. And I think pretty much everyone around hockey thought the same thing. Now, it didn't work out, um, but there's still lots of time in those deals for it to work out in the future. Um, Overall, when I look at his tenure, did he win a Stanley Cup? No, and that's probably what all general managers are judged on. Uh, Away from that, like we mentioned, Stanley Cup playoffs got underway. The marathon uh, grind now begins for, uh, for many teams. Sammy, last night, two games going to overtime, one into double OT. Uh, any of those four matchups stood out in your mind last night as far as uh, playoff openers go? Well, I, I picked the Islanders in an upset over Carolina because I just thought with Barzal coming back, it would give a little boost to their offense. Now, to expect him to come back and to, to play you know, at the height of his game uh, when the playoffs are, are just starting and he hasn't played in two months, that's a difficult, difficult challenge. Having said all that, the Islanders looked exactly like they did in the regular season. They had trouble scoring goals. Power play wasn't very good, but Sorokin kept them in the game. And then when I look at Carolina, no Svechnikov, that's a team that whose goal scoring went down significantly, stumbled down the stretch at 9-9-1 and going in, but still enough power and enough uh, prowess on the back end to be able to get it done. And Ronta, I think, gave them a, a great goaltending performance. The Minnesota game against Dallas, exactly how I thought that one would go not in terms of who would win or lose, but just how nasty and how physical the series is going to be. And obviously the tone was set with the Pavelski hit. A couple of other scrums that uh, elicited a few punches here and there. 
but that series, that's going to be the nature of that series, and it's probably going to be a long, drawn-out one. The team that comes out of it is going to have difficulty moving forward. The Oilers disappointed that they couldn't hold a 3-1 lead. Um, you know, maybe Todd McCollum has the magic sauce to keep McDavid off the board. Did a really good job doing that. And, um, you know, when I look at the, um, the rest of the playoffs, it's, it's pretty much as expected. Like, you know, you think about Boston. Boston wasn't really good for about a period and a half, but they did enough to stay in it. And the veteran leadership came through. At the end of the day, they end up beating a Florida team that is good, but not in the same league as Boston. Yeah, on that Boston note there, is it should it be concerning for everybody else to look at that Bruins team, Sam, and go, you know what, they didn't even have Patrice Bergeron last night, and they still look pretty formidable, and we know half the guys there are dealing with whatever bugs going through that locker room. That's a pretty good-looking team for a group that didn't have their captain, their most important player last night. Your teams that win championships win games when they're not at their best, and they weren't even close to their best yesterday. I think... There were about four minutes left in the second period. They had maybe 13 shots on goal. Now they turned it up a notch in the third and got it going a little bit and started to repel some of the physicality. That, you know, Florida tried to bring that game into the weeds early on, and Boston wasn't really biting. Um, but when I look at this hockey club, I thought, and they were a great hockey club to start with, but the moves that Don Sweeney made, you know, Bertuzzi with two assists looked brilliant on the power play. Um, you know, even before that, getting Zach, a guy who's got versatility, who was great in the middle, winning 54% of his face-offs last night. Then you look at Hathaway. Okay, the goal disallowed, but in 12 minutes, he was buzzing, and everyone knew when he was out on the ice. Uh, and then, of course, Dmitry Orlov. I mean, yeah, one bad turnover that led to the to a goal, but the the Kachuk goal. But he too was brilliant in transitioning um, for a Boston goal, going back the other way. So. When you take a good team and you add to it, you send a message to your players that we know we're really good, but we also know that we're going to need the depth. And when a guy like Matt Grizzlick, who's whatever, plus 46, sits out, that tells you everything about the depth of this hockey club and how prepared they are to make a deep run. Uh, as for tonight's set of games, another four game ones going tonight. And with all due respect to the other three matchups, it's hard not to look at another Tampa Bay Toronto first round meeting, Sammy, and, and wonder what's going to happen in this one. Do you feel any differently one way or the other about this Leafs' chances of getting past Tampa in round one? Yeah, I do. I, I feel strongly about it. I think Toronto's uh, at that point now to make the next step, and, and should it not, then I think a lot of changes, both personnel and front office, are, are, are going to be made. But I think the learning experiences from the last couple of years are really going to come through in this uh, in this series. And, you know, the flip side of that is how worn out is Tampa? Three straight runs to the final. Um, you know, some guys that are that are beat up and banged up. We saw players getting sat. We saw Vasilevsky show some signs of where he's not, signs of imperfection that we're not used to seeing. Um, and so I think Toronto's poised, but it, it's not going to be easy going up against that experience. I picked Toronto in seven. I stand by that, but I think Toronto is more equipped this year to win at least one round than it ever has been in the last seven when it's uh, lost out in round one. How remarkable is it uh, that out of the Pacific Division, Sam, two of the teams uh, representing the, the division are uh, expansion teams in the last couple of years, especially the Seattle Kraken now, uh, as they head into year two. They're back. They're in the playoffs for the first time and taking on a, a Colorado team that begins their title defense. I guess it's pretty remarkable, and it's not quite the expansion teams that we used to know in the NHL. You can come in and, and build a pretty good team pretty quickly now, given uh, how the NHL works it with the draft and, and other things, eh? I, I think it's it's 
it's awesome how it's worked out for Seattle because no one was going to replicate the Vegas blueprint with all the deals that George McPhee uh, cut ahead of time. And so Seattle had to go about it uh, a different way. They built the big back end. They acquired some draft picks. Uh, they found some players that were more second slash third line guys and then did a really good job with Matty Beneers and a couple of their other draft picks. And then they found some value in players like Daniel Sprong. So uh, the way they've gone about it has been really impressive because a lot of the doors that were open to Vegas weren't open to Ron Francis in Seattle. That's been super, super impressive for me. And when I went and uh, called one of their games earlier this year against the Montreal Canadiens, I was impressed by their four-line depth, the speed and pace at which they played, their ability for the defense to move pucks. And I still think that even to this point, the goaltending is a little bit of a question mark. But, man, this team can put the puck in the net, and there's four lines that can do it. So formidable for sure. And the Vegas Golden Knights, I think, you know, right off the hop, a culture was created, and that culture hasn't been deviated from regardless of changes both with the coaching staff on a couple of occasions and with the personnel. And, you know, moving on guys like Schmidt and Marc-Andre Fleury were super popular guys. Um, that's also been impressive how they've been able to maintain that culture since day one. Day one. On the other side of that uh, table for Seattle, it's the Colorado Avalanche. They begin their title defense. Uh, how do we feel about Colorado heading into this important uh, season, knowing that Nathan McKinnon's big contract extension kicks in next year? And look, this is a team that hasn't really been healthy at any point this season, cause and we know no Gabriel Landeskog for the playoffs. That's a tough loss because I think that guy is just such a great playoff performer when you talk about you know, this time of year and being physical, but also being clutch. It's an interesting start to a playoff uh, and title defense for the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, and getting McCarr back is obviously going to be huge. Josh Manson as well, and that formidable back end that I think was so instrumental in their, in their win last year. Looks like it's going to be back intact. I mean, how healthy? Yeah, I guess you can ask that question to anyone at this time of year. How healthy really is anybody? But McKinnon's at the top of his game right now. Uh, you know, if, if McCart at 80% is probably better than 80% of the National Hockey <laughs> which is which is a nice luxury to have. And so, again, uh, you know, Gorgiev, has he had the chance to prove it in playoffs? That's probably the question mark there. But it looks like all the other pieces are in place. And I agree with you. Like, Landis Gog is he's a guy that going back to his draft prospects game in, in Toronto where he sat out and actually sat with Lou and I in the booth, you were just so impressed with his character, his class, um, not to mention what he's able to do on the ice. So that, no doubt, is a huge loss. But, you know, Colorado's prepared for that all, all year long. They've been without him all year long. So this is going to be nothing new here moving into the playoffs minus, uh, minus that key piece. Sam Cosentino along with us here on the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. And speaking of uh, the .ca portion of your work, Sam, uh, the April edition of the 2023 NHL draft prospect rankings dropping a couple days ago on the website. And uh, I won't spoil anything every time we have these conversations. It's always been uh, number 98 at the top of the uh, rankings. Uh, nothing left to prove at the junior level. And uh, I don't think the WHL playoffs helped uh, scouts uh, move him down the lineup by any means. But uh, what stood out to you on the April edition? Any big uh, movers up or down when it came to your rankings? No, not a ton. I mean, there's a couple of guys in, in Max Sturback who plays in the USHL and, and uh, Felix Nilsson is playing over in, in Sweden who, you know, I got elevated into the to the top 32. And those are guys that uh, even with National Hockey League Central Scouting's rankings coming out today, 
that were a little bit further down their list, but that's, that's the fun in all of this. So when I'm looking at, uh, you know, last week I spent some time with the U S under 18 program and got down there and interviewed some of their players and just had an unbelievable time. So, you know, Will Smith moves up in the, in the um, North American rankings into the third spot behind Fantilli and, and Bedard. And that's kind of a cool thing. He's such a wonderful young man. I'm, I'm really happy for him. And I think there's big things for him ahead, but overall, just, kind of looking at some things i still think that there's some changes to be made and you get the chl playoffs going on seattle's got a couple of kids there uh nick miatovic and and grayson sachin who you know haven't been able to play the top level minutes for that hockey club because they're so deep yet have been recognized by nhl central scouting and and remain pretty high on on their list as a potential end of first round maybe early second round picks and then i look at what the world under 18s has to offer that gets underway in switzerland um, as early as tomorrow, I believe. That's going to be really telling. Um, you know, you get six or seven games with a lot of general manager and all the high-end scouts over there to watch those players. So I think there's going to be some changes as a result of that. And then, of course, probably going to have to wait right up to draft day. But, you know, what's, what's the plight of the Russian player? And I mm. think there's four of them that are deserving of first-round, uh, you know, status here. But what is the plight of those players? And then Matt Bay Mitchkoff. Uh, as the playoffs get underway, we get the at least seedings ahead of the draft lottery. Sam and uh, Flames, of course, going to come in at 16th. And uh, barring a massive change of, of fate, they will pick 16th. Uh, that's middle of round one for a lot of people. It sounds like a bad place to be. Um, but could it be different this year, given the depth that we've talked about in this draft class? What kind of player could be around that 16th pick when it comes to the Calgary Flames? And I don't. I know it's going to be hard to name names. You don't know who's picking where, but I guess just in generalities, what kind of prospect do you see being middle of the first round when it comes to this year's draft? No, I I like it. I mean, of course you'd want to, you know, that middle spot is so difficult to be in. Um, But having said that with the depth of this year's draft, they're still going to get a really good player at 16. And, you know, one name that comes to mind is Axel Sandin, Pellet defenseman, a guy who can play in all situations, who's had the ability to adapt his game from, basically being a rock star with the under 18 group to, to kind of learning and finding his way to end up being a rock star with the, with the world under 20 group when, when not starting out that way. So he's a guy I'm really excited about, um, um, you know, who's probably going to be somewhere in that range. Again, what, what's the plight of the Russian player? I think there will be a couple that would be available to, uh, you know, to, I guess, Don Maloney at this point, uh, or Todd Button for sure um, in that spot. And then, it really depends on how people feel about what's going on in the top 10. Like, I think there's going to be some variances here, whether it's a, a Zach Benson, a, a Braden Yeager, a Moose Jaw, who seems to have slipped here a little bit, even in my rankings. Is he a guy who's going to become available, um, you know, plays in the Western Hockey League? Uh, that would be someone I'd keep an eye on as he kind of has taken a couple of steps backward, but still a really, really good player. So there will be a good player for Calgary available there. and It'll be interesting to see if the new general manager whoever that may be, ends up doing some wheeling and dealing uh, potentially to move up. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, two guys I wanted to ask you about on your rankings that really intrigued me for you know similar reasons because I think uh, the basement is so high on both of these guys. Uh, David Reinbacker is a guy that is going to be so interesting to me. I think he could easily be first defenseman off the board if somebody was willing, you know, five, six, seven, Sam, we're really looking at a guy that's, you know, played some pro experience and played against men. I, I really like his game. And then Nate Danielson, 
uh, a guy we've seen lots here in Calgary coming through with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Feels like one of the safest picks in the draft because he just does everything so well. Uh, and I've seen him shoot up a lot of draft board rankings. What do you think about those two players? And what have you seen from them over the last little while? Well, I'll start with Danielson. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of the young man. And going back to his, you know, his 16-year-old year was, was given a lot of responsibility in terms of matchups. So still put up points, yet his main responsibility, and it doesn't happen often for a 16-year-old, was, was to defend against the opposition's best. And he did that job really well. He maintained that job this year through a coaching change. Uh, from Don McGillivray to, to Marty Murray, yet still was able to put up over a point per game on a branded team that was, you know, very, very average. So I, I love the prospects of what he has to bring. And the big thing about Danielson is, you know, if he's not coming at you with the point production, there's still a B game that's going to play for him with his ability to match up, give you some PK, use his smarts, uh, and, and potentially add some offense a little bit further down in the lineup. So uh, big, big fan of his. Uh, when it comes to, to Nate Danielson. And the other player you asked about again, Logan, was? Uh, David Reinbacher. Yeah, so uh, really fascinating guys had a lot of success playing in Switzerland. All situations guy there, about 22 minutes per game. What's really going to be telling for me as to where he ends up going exactly is, is what happens at the men's world. He's going to represent Austria there. They're not going to have a great team, but probably a more competitive team than, if, than when he was with Austria at the under-20s. And so that should give him more of an opportunity to shine where he'll have more help around him. And I think that's going to be huge for Ryan Backer moving forward. But his body of work says to me already, first D-man off the board and likely in that 8-12 to 12 range. Sam, always appreciate the time, man. You're always so great about coming on and joining us here. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy the playoffs as we go through it. And I'm sure we'll chat with you again sometime soon, hey? Okay, thanks a lot, Logan. Take care. Take care. Sam Cosentino. Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. You can check out Sam's uh, April Prospect Rankings edition up at Sportsnet.ca. It's about a week ago uh, he's got him up there. But if you are a Flames fan or a fan of another team that's uh, maybe looking ahead to the draft and want to get an eye on prospects and uh, where guys are being ranked, uh, Sam's article is a perfect place to go and check it out. And uh, a couple of names he mentioned there for Flames. I don't. I never want to press a guy because of the draft. Who knows what's going to happen uh, by the time you get to 16th where the Flames are projected to pick right now. Um, but a couple of names that, that Sam was willing to throw out because he is the best and we appreciate him. Uh, you know, Axel Sandin Palika is a defenseman uh, for Swedish team. Uh, he says a wonderful skater who possesses high-end puck skills, can break pucks out in a variety of ways, is a threat in the offensive zone. And mentioned a guy like Braden Yeager, uh, center for the Moose Jaw Warriors, who um, was – Really, a couple months ago, somewhere closer to a, a top 10 pick, if not a right around that 10 uh, overall slot, he slipped a bit in a couple of rankings and might be someone available for the Calgary Flames uh, come pick number 16. I'm a big fan of Braden Yeager. I think that would be a tremendous add to the Flames prospect group. But those are a couple of names that, that Sam was willing to check out. So head to sportsnet.ca uh, and you can find his latest uh, 2023 NHL draft uh, draft prospect rankings, April edition, if you want to get caught up on all of that. We will take a break, come back on the other side. Let's kick off hour two, how we usually kick off hour one. Let's chat with Peter Labardius. He's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.